Welcome to the River Church. Uh, my name is Michael, and um, you've already been welcomed, I know, but I wanted to say hello as well. And um, it's December 1st. Oh my goodness. And just in case you were wondering what time of year it was, um, God decided to give us a little snow this morning, so wasn't that great? We get to wake up to snow on the very first of December, and my daughter and I had a nice little walk in the snow this morning to get here, and um, it was a lot of fun to have the snow falling on us and whatnot. And so it's wonderful. What do you, well, here we are at December 1st. What are you expecting this Christmas? What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? I mean, it's, it's December and it's, it's Advent. I know that word isn't up there on the slide. That's no big deal. But for, for most of our churches, we use this term Advent. Uh, it's a term that essentially means, means coming. And, and during the Advent season, this time of about December 1st to about December 25th, um, we are anticipating the coming of that little baby who was born in Bethlehem, right? So what are you anticipating? Maybe you're anticipating more of the same, of what you just experienced this last week. I don't know what that was, but I'm guessing because if you're like me, your family gets together and it's all wonderful and there are never any problems or conflicts and nobody ever disagrees and the turkey is always done on time and there's always enough sparkling juice or whatever to go around and but maybe not maybe maybe the holidays for you are a challenging time or a difficult time uh, maybe you're missing a loved one. Or maybe you don't really get, a, get along with some of those family members and you're thinking, well, I've got to go see them during this Christmas break and maybe that's not going to go so well. Or, or uh, who knows what you might be anticipating. I hope you're anticipating fun things and good times and maybe if, if you're really young or maybe you're old and you're anticipating opening gifts on Christmas morning, and that's an exciting time for you. You're anticipating a lot of things, right? Um, but over the next few weeks, as we go into Christmas uh, season, and even as we reflect back on it, so the entire month of December, um, we want to reflect on what this Christmas is all about. And really what Christmas is all about in general. Every year, we have a king a king. His name is Jesus. And he came, and he was a little baby, and he grew, and then he was crowned. He, he took on his kingship. He, he established his kingdom. He announced that. And, and this king is, is great, and he deserves everything that we have. I don't want us to, to forget that in this time of, of, of hustle and bustle and shopping and, and giving and receiving and, and snow and maybe snowmen and maybe reindeer and Santa Claus and, and maybe all of those things like that too. I, however you celebrate this time, during this time, let's not miss King Jesus. So I want us to reflect on the king. And what that means. There's a story in the Old Testament. It is not a Christmas story. But we're going to go there anyway. 
Because it, 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 it's a story of anticipation. It's a story of desire. Really a story of need. The people of Israel at a time in their, in their history wanted a king. We want a king. And I think that story can help us to reflect on our need for a king in our own life. And, um, and maybe challenge some of the ways we have established a kingdom in our own lives as well. And maybe some ways in which Jesus needs to dethrone some of the kings in our lives. So, let's take a look at it together. It's, it's in 1 Samuel. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or your devices to 1 Samuel 8. And, hey, what a, what a joy we've got these, these um, lovely, bright red, well, rich red um, chairs. And they've got little slots underneath. So, if, you're, if you don't have a Bible, you can just reach right under a chair in front of you and grab a Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And uh, we're just going to look intently at about nine verses here. And uh, maybe we'll reference some of the other ones as we go. Um, but um, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. And if you would uh, be willing to join me and are able to stand in honor of God's word, I would invite you to stand as I read aloud. The words will also be up here on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, and I thank you that we can even go to this somewhat obscure Old Testament passage, this little story that tells us of Israel's desire for a king, and we can learn something about our true king as well, and uh, learn something about our own need for a king. I thank you for that, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We want a king. That's what Israel was saying. That's what, the, that's what the elders of Israel came to Samuel to, to express. We want a king. And if, um, 
If you're kind of like me, I think you are because you live in this country uh, which we, in which we don't have a king, it might be hard to understand, well, what's a king really like? Uh, you know, in times past, there, there were kings and we could kind of conceptualize that. We maybe kind of think back to stories we have read or, or maybe you think of the king or the queen of England and you can kind of, you know, but then that they're more like figureheads there. They're not, they don't really decide all of the rules, right? Um, it's hard to understand what a king was really like. And it's hard to understand why they would want a king. Why wouldn't they say, we want a, de a democracy. We want representation representative form of government. We want to vote. They didn't want any of that. They weren't asking for any of that. And here's why. If you read further in the story, you'll see a little bit of, of what they were looking for. Further on in chapter 8, in verse 20, uh, they say, no, we've heard your warnings, we've heard you tell us what a king is going to do, and the demands that he's going to make on us, but we still want a king. And here's why. We want a king that will judge us, and go out before us, and fight our battles. That's what they said. Now, if you may not want to be judged. You may not want somebody in your life to judge you. Your family does that well enough. Thank you very much, right? Uh, you're, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, that kind of thing. Uh, you get enough judgment in your life. What kind of judgment were they looking for? A king to judge us. What, what they were looking for is a king who would administer justice. Now, if I put it that way, it's, it, it tweaks it a little bit, doesn't it? Maybe you can see how that would be something they would, they would desire. All you have to do is look around our world and see injustice happening over and over. Wicked people getting away with evil. Good people Never getting recognized, never getting rewarded for what they have done. You've seen people get away with things that they shouldn't. That's injustice. We want justice. We all want justice. And a king would establish justice. That's what they wanted. If they had somebody to rule over them, that person would, would punish evildoers and reward the good. And that's what we all want. We all want a king. We may get it in different ways. We may think of a king as, as, as more of a system rather than a person. If we have the right form of government, if we have democracy or, if, or economically, if we have capitalism or if we have socialism or if we have this or that, you've, you've heard everything. Everyone's saying that stuff, right? They're saying we want something because we think the world is unjust and we want it to be just. And so were the people. They wanted somebody to go out before them. They said, we want somebody to lead the way. We want somebody who will represent us. And all of the other nations have kings. We saw that in this passage. We want somebody who will represent us truly who we are and lead the way. To go before us would mean that they are, they, 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 they represent us and they lead us. And we know now which way to go. We, we, we can be confident. We can be secure. And speaking of that, they wanted somebody who will fight our battles. Oh, we want a king to fight our battles. Uh, maybe they're forgetting that kings need armies to fight battles. And that they were going to be in the trenches, so to speak, with the king. They were the ones who were going to be dying in those battles so that they would have victory. Maybe they weren't quite seeing that. But nevertheless, what they were expressing there 
is we want security and safety. Because if we have a king who fights our battles for us, then we can live securely. Then our borders will be secure. Then our, 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 our people can, can thrive. Our, our children can grow up in peace. This is what we want. But they didn't think they were going to get that with the current leadership. Samuel is mentioned in verse 1. Now Samuel was one of the last great prophets slash judges. Right before this, right before 1 Samuel is the book of Ruth. If you don't know that story, you can go online and listen to four messages from the book of Ruth from last month. We just went through that, through that book of the Bible. And before Ruth is the judges. The judges judged or ruled. They were heroes. Not, not legal judges with, with robes and gavels, but they were, they were rulers or leaders. They were strong uh, men and women who, who fought Israel's battles and who went before us and who administered justice. And Samuel was in that line. The judges were fading away and there was Samuel all alone dispensing the word of God. And, and he had judged Israel his entire life. Even as a child, God was speaking to him and the word was going out to the people. And he brought peace with them. If you, if you flip back a chapter or so, you see Samuel is leading the armies of Israel. He's going before them. He's judging them. And he's giving them peace in their battles. Victory in their battles. But they notice something. Samuel, you're getting old. You can't do this forever. But the problem is that your sons, who you, had, who, had, who you are anticipating will continue on after you, um, we don't trust your sons. They're not faithful. They, they're going aside after gain. In other words, they're just looking for uh, money, material gain. They're, they're taking bribes. They're, they're perverting justice, the narrator tells us. Uh, they're not walking in your way, Samuel. This is a problem. This is a failure of leadership. And for, for Israel, it revealed their need for a king. Failure of leadership reveals our need for a king. It, it, it helps us to see that uh, when, when, when leaders fail, we go, something's got to give. Justice isn't taking place. Um, peace is not at hand. What shall we do? We, um, it's not actually hard to see that in our own, uh, in our own world. Failures, failures of leadership happen all the time. They happen politically. They happen in the churches. They happen in local governments. It's... It, it, and sometimes it's really messy and sometimes it's just somebody disappears and you go, what happened to that guy? Oh, well, they flamed out at some point. We, um, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's happening more and more often nowadays. Maybe it's because of social media and, and the, the speed of communication. It feels like it's happening more and more nowadays. But even I, I remember even as a small child hearing stories of a pastor who did something he wasn't supposed to and 
got fired or dismissed from his church. And, and, and we see that over and over and over again. And we cry out for justice. Uh, we see that happen at every level. And we go, we want justice. We want somebody who will really go before us, who really has our best interests at heart, somebody who will fight our battles, somebody who will bring victory and bring, bring true peace. And we're not seeing it. Like Israel, we're probably looking around at our situation going, what shall we do? We need a king. Failure of leadership reveals our need for a king. But there's something about success as well. Look, look at what the elders say to them. Say to Samuel, they gathered to them, they all came together, and I don't know, maybe they, maybe they sent, there's an, like an email campaign going on, and they said, let's, let's all meet at Rama or something, I don't know. But they get together, and they say, Samuel, here's the situation, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us, and check this out. Did you hear that phrase? It's very important. Like all the nations... So they're looking around and they're thinking, well, those other nations seem to be doing really well. They seem to be very successful. Whatever they're doing seems to be working. That's because they have a king. Well, we need a king too. We need a king too. They're looking around at all the other nations and seeing their success from their point of view. And they're thinking, uh, we want a king too. It, it was fueling their desire for a king. They, re they repeated it again at the end of the chapter. No, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. Hmm. This is low-hanging fruit to me, guys. I don't know. It's not hard to apply that to our own lives. You've all heard the adage, the, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Yes, I feel that way. Although in my case, it literally is true that on the other side of the fence, the grass is greener because my neighbor takes better care of his lawn than I do of mine. But we look at the success of others and we think, well, why aren't we experiencing that? Why, why is that not happening in, in our lives or in our church? Last month, I, I came from, a, from our annual meeting, and I shared a little bit about that, I think, a few weeks ago, and, and shared how, in many ways, it was very encouraging. And I always get encouraged there. And I, I love meeting the people that serve throughout the Northwest um, other Baptist churches like ours who are serving and, and, and ministering in, in various places in various ways. And, and some of them are, are really struggling and, and some of them are just really doing well. And, and during those meetings, you always hear from the people who are doing really, really well. 
You're always hearing the successful churches and the successful leaders. And you're, you're hearing about successful strategies and methods and, and marketing. I, I had somebody just in a passing conversation said, are you guys on social media? Oh, you, you ought to be putting stuff out on social media. That's how people are interacting. And, and he just went on for about five or ten minutes and told me about all of the wonderful things that our church is not doing. I felt really good about that. We see these things, whether we hear about them directly or we get a, a newsletter or, we, or, we, or maybe, maybe sometimes we, we hear a testimony on a video and we think, oh, wonderful, international missions. Why am I not doing that? I'm just sitting in this pew. I'm just living here in Yakima, Washington. I'm not a missionary. What's wrong with me? Or maybe you have a, a website you like to frequent. Or a podcast you like to listen to. And you start to think things like, gee, this guy's a really good preacher. Wish we had a preacher like that. Maybe you think that because I think that too. I, I think, gee, why am I not preaching like that? Why, why am I not that dynamic? And why when I preach, we don't have streams of people coming to the front and falling on their faces and, and just, why is that not happening? What is wrong with me? Or what is wrong with us? Maybe if we were like everybody else. That's just in the church culture. But as individuals and families, we think, I want to be like everybody else. I want to be successful like everybody else. I want to have all of the toys that everybody else has. I want to be thought of like other people are thought of. I want to look like that or sound like that. I want to know the th same things that they know. I want to, I want to get the, the joke. I want to be in. And it fuels our desire for a king. And in this way, it, in some ways it fuels our desire for, it might fuel our desire for an actual person. Like, we just need new people or a new person so that something will give and that will be better. Or, or maybe a new relationship or a new spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a new identity. I'm not good enough in who I am, so I'm going to self-identify as something different. And then maybe then I'll be accepted. Maybe I'll, then I'll feel like I belong. Maybe then I'll have the same kind of success and, and place in life that I see other people have. Leadership success or success in leadership fuels our desire for a king. Really, it's discontent. It's discontent with our situation. That's exactly how the people of Israel were here. They were discontent. Samuel, you've been great, but you're old now. And we, we want to go in a different direction. 
but we don't trust the people you have put in place. There is a reason for that. His sons are described in the same way that Eli the priest's sons were described in the, in the opening chapters of 1 Samuel. You can read about them um, later. But the author is telling us, what's the deal with leadership in Israel? What's going on here? Uh, these leaders are, are put in position by God, but the people who come after them are unfaithful. What are we going to do? Something's got to give. So, Samuel, it says the thing displeased Samuel. And um, literally, the thing was evil to Samuel. This is kind of, if I put a literal translation on it, Samuel is going, that is just an evil, a wicked, a calamitous view, a disastrous uh, approach to life. To desire a king. And, and the Lord addressed Samuel's heart here, like he does, hopefully with all leaders who are seeking the face of God in prayer. And, he say, and, and Samuel says, or the Lord says to Samuel, excuse me, uh, do what they say to do. They're not rejecting you. Ah, that's the problem with Samuel. Samuel thought it was all about him. <laughs> the reason these people are so unruly, this, the, they're, the reason they're so unfaithful is because they don't believe in me, they don't follow me, they don't, they don't trust me. And God gently reminds him, it's not about you, Samuel. They've rejected me as king over them. Don't you see? I'm their king. And, and that's really the, that really is the key verse, the, the key phrase of this entire passage. God is revealing himself to them, to Samuel, through Samuel, to the, to the people, and, and all of those who read this passage, and all of us who are sitting or standing here today going, this is what we need to hear. God is our king. God is our king. When we, he's saying when they've, they've rejected you, they've actually rejected me. They don't want who I put in place. They don't want me to rule over them. And so, God says in verse 8, this, they've been doing this ever since I brought them out of Egypt. It's a constant cycle. It started in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't want God to rule over them. They didn't want his rules in their life. And then it continued on. And it just seems, seems to be mounting up. In the book of Judges, the phrase was, in that day, Israel had no king. And, and in a couple other places, he, the, the author adds the phrase, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how things were. They, it wasn't just now that they were rejecting God as king. They'd always rejected God as king. And guess what? They were going to continue to reject God as king. And that's what this demand for a king was. And so, so God says, Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Show, the, show them or tell them explicitly what a king is going to demand of them. Here's what the king is going to do. 
The king is going to, and he goes on in verses 10 to 18. The king is going to conscript your sons and daughters. He's going to take your sons and he's going to put them in the army. He's going to take your daughters and he's going to put them in his palace. He's going to take all of your good stuff. He's going to take the best of the land and he's going to gather that up. And he's going to take a tenth of everything that you own. He's going to take your servants and your male and female servants and your animals and, and he's going to do all of those things and he's going, to, he's going to make slaves of you. This is what he's going to do. And then you're going to cry out because you have an oppressive king. And the Lord is not going to answer you on that day. That was the message. Here's what's going to happen. The king is going to demand all that you have. Are you ready for that? And they said, oh, yes, sign me up. I'll, I'll give everything up just so that I can have justice in my eyes just so I'll have somebody who will represent me and my interests and somebody who will fight our battles somebody who will bring peace and security and stability into our lives the warning was there God uh, made it very clear through Samuel here is the reality of leadership the reality of, of this kind of leadership that they're talking about demands our all for the king. The reality demands our all. So uh, God did give them a plan or, or uh, uh, give them instructions and warnings and they still wanted this king. So here's how the story turns out. God gives them what they want and a man appears in the story who, you know, when you look at this guy, you think, man, this guy's all right. I mean, he is strong. He's handsome. He's young. Uh, the, in chapter 9, the, uh, the, the narrator tells us there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome or, or beautiful or, or that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a junk drawer term. It doesn't just mean he looked nice. But he was, he was Adonis. He was, the, he was the, the ideal man. They thought, I mean... If you're reading the story, you're thinking, oh man, this guy's the guy, and, and he's going to be it. And guess what? He is it. And God says, go, anoint him as king. And they anoint him as king. But it doesn't take long to see him unravel. And you see him, that on the outside, he was this awesome specimen. He was everything that they wanted. He had all of the qualities of a king in the ancient Near East. But they, he had none of the inner character. They were looking for that man. And God gave it to him. And the, all of 1 Samuel, all of 1 Samuel is the story of how these earthly leaders, mainly Saul, did not live up to God's standard of leadership or, more specifically, kingship. 
here's what we get when our, when our need for a king and our desires for a king lead us to find a king in places that we're not supposed to find one. We might get exactly what we're looking for. That's not going to be good. And so the king did exercise all of those demands. But more than anything else, he failed to have a heart after God. And so, where does that put us? As we're reflecting on this, this message from God during this time of the year. What is that say? What is that saying to us? In what way? Let me pose this question. In what way have you? Are you either seeking a king or slash a kingdom? That's not God's kingdom. That's that. That's not. That doesn't have God on the throne. Or what? In what way have you already been doing that? I'm not, I don't want to preach against, I'm not here to preach against Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or sugar cookies, which I call devil cookies because they're so tempting. That's supposed to be a joke, okay. Thank you. I'm not preaching against the holiday traditions. Certainly not. Maybe, maybe I am preaching against some of the materialism. That goes on. But more than that, sometimes the biggest, the biggest idol, the biggest king in our lives is that elusive feeling that we're chasing after. That we like to call peace and joy. The holiday spirit that we're chasing. And maybe it's the the specials on TV, or maybe it's the traditions, or maybe it's a little bit of everything. Maybe it's how many gifts we have under the tree. This is going to be a good Christmas. And none of those things have anything to do with Jesus. Beware. Beware of a kingdom with a false king at the center of it. Whether it's another person in your life, living or dead, or an ideal that you're, that you're shooting for, or whether it's yourself. The worst kingdom is the one in which you are on the throne. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's where we live in America. That's, that's who we are as a culture. And that's the biggest idol there is, self who is king? We want a king. We need a king. We desire a king. And, and whatever is going to be king in our life is going to demand everything from us. So, maybe we let our desire for a king, which is good in and of itself, maybe we let that, that need that is, that is in each and every one of us for that security and that peace and that justice, we let that be fueled by the true king. The king who came after Saul, let me give you a history lesson, was King David. He's the man after God's own heart. And we get to, we get to see him in a few chapters in, into 1 Samuel. 
And we discover here in this humble little kind of rugged, ruddy boy, as they describe him that way, we see there a picture of kingship, how it should be. He is a man after God's own heart. Yet even at the end of his life, he falls short. Why? Because God was helping us to see that our desire for a king, our need for a king, this, the demands that a king will make for us, the, the all that the king demands, everything there is supposed to be fulfilled in this child who we celebrate at Christmas time. This child is more than just a child, more than just a baby in a manger, more than just... A, a, I don't know. I don't think he was as quiet as some of the songs lead us to believe. But, but he's more than just that little baby. He came to be our king. He came to live a perfect life. He came to die with his arms outstretched on a cross for us. He came to rise from the dead, to conquer death, and make it available to every one of us. He came announcing his kingdom. It's here, now. It's a kingdom that by faith in Jesus, we all participate in here and now, and one day for eternity. Why would we substitute that for something else? Why would we let something else displace our true king? Whether it's made in our own hearts or whether it's on us by the culture around us and we accept what everyone else is telling us about truth. Instead, embrace the true king. The one who came to love, to serve, to give for us. That's a great gift. That's a great Christmas gift. Jesus, our King. But let me warn you, as God and Samuel warned the people, this King demands our all. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about the fact that when Jesus comes and says, here, the kingdom is here, he's saying, all. Come to me. Bring all of you to me. And yes, even those, even those sins that you're, you feel burdened by and you don't feel worthy enough for, for Jesus and you're not, and that's okay because he offers forgiveness and he offers grace and he offers you a new way to live your life. Those of you who don't feel all that burdened by your sins, um, he's saying, Get rid of that self, that, that self-fulfillment. Uh, get rid of that, get rid of that you-ness. Deny yourself, he says, and take up your cross and follow me and join the kingdom. The king is here. That's what we're celebrating during Advent. That's what this... That's what this, this time of year, and, and really I hope every year, every, every Sunday that we gather together, you hear the same kind of message. It's all about Jesus. And we're all about him. So, will you come to Jesus 
Or will you follow the pattern of our ancients in Israel who wanted to be like all the nations rather than to see that their king was right there among them already. And he's here among us too. His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this word uh, from uh, the Old Testament. And um, I thank you, God, that it is a word for us. Not, not, not just for people long ago, but it has meaning and significant for us today as well. Because you are, you are behind it. And you made it possible. You declared it. Uh, you kept it. And it's here for us. That we may hear and respond by faith to what you are, are speaking to us about. We need a king. That is true, God. And help us, Lord, to find you to put our faith in you and accept your rule over us because you reign with justice. You have gone before us to death and to life and you have given us victory. We thank you. We give you praise and glory for that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.